This is the Engineering Career Coach Podcast brought to you by the Engineering Management Institute, where we focus on helping engineers and technical professionals become effective managers and powerful leaders. Hello, this is Anthony Fasano, and this is the show for engineers and technical professionals who want to succeed in both work and life. In today's episode, I'm talking with two very successful women from the Matthews Group. They are Melissa Matthews and Tia Over, and we will be talking about strategies that you can use when things go wrong in your career, whether it's a project crisis, a client crisis, or just a career crisis. We are faced with tons of problems and challenges and sometimes emergencies as engineers. The ability to respond to those can set you apart in your career. And the people that rise to the top of firms and large organizations are people that can respond well in crisis situations. So before I tell you a little bit more about our guests and we jump into this episode, I do want to remind you to stick around later on in this episode for my essential career advancement tips. I'll be sharing info on where to find practical advice and the best resources for your licensure exam, including an exclusive 20% discount available only to our listeners thanks to our sponsor, PPI. You won't want to miss it. I also briefly want to mention our Engineering Management Accelerator online workshop. This is a workshop that we launched in late 2017, and it's already seen over 100 engineers go through the program. Why are they going through the program? Because engineers know that technical professionals by nature don't make good managers. We just don't. We're very analytical. We need to work hard and develop our managerial skills, but we don't really have the time to do that. So I've developed this curriculum that will take two to three hours a week over five weeks for you. These are live skill building sessions that you'll go through. Focus on communication. There's a focus on networking and building relationships. We have a course on productivity course on building expertise and mastering public speaking. And we have a course dedicated to high leverage management where we'll teach you how to delegate effectively, which most technical professionals cannot do. You can check all of this out at engineer2manager.com. Again, that's engineer2manager.com. Our next session is starting in September. Now I'd like to introduce our guests for today's episode, just so you get to really learn a little bit more about them and their backgrounds because they both have very impressive backgrounds. Melissa Matthews is the founder and president of the Matthews Group, which helps business-minded engineers and scientists tell their stories to the audiences who matter. Melissa has worked in communications for over 20 years, advising CEOs, business leaders, and entrepreneurs. Her expertise lies in executive communications, speech writing, and crisis communications, which is what we're going to talk about today. Before establishing the Matthews Group, Melissa earned her communication credentials as a journalist producing breaking news at CNN and as a spokesperson at NASA. She spent nearly three years working crisis response to the Space Shuttle Columbia accident and subsequent return to flight. Melissa is married to a U.S. diplomat and has three kids and a Louisiana-born mutt. She has lived in the U.K., Japan, Guatemala, and Saudi Arabia. Tia Over is the vice president and chief strategy officer of the Matthews Group. Tia has over 15 years of experience advising clients and leaders on communication strategy. She launched her public relations career working in political and public affairs in Oregon. 
Her next position was as a White House appointee at NASA headquarters in Washington, D.C., where she directed all employee communications at each of the 10 NASA field centers. She also helped manage special projects such as the return to flight space shuttle launch, the 35th anniversary of the Apollo 11 moon landing, and the premiere of the IMAX film, Magnificent Desolation. Tia and her husband, Andrew, their two children, and pet, Sheba, live in Seattle. All right, so obviously you can see that both Tia and Melissa have a lot of experience in crisis communication and just communications in general. So now I want to give you a quote related to this topic that's going to bring us right into our main segment, into the interview. And I chose this quote because it's so true in terms of dealing with crisis. We cannot always control everything that happens to us in this life, but we can control how we respond. Many struggles come as problems and pressures that sometimes cause pain. Others come as temptations, trials, and tribulations. The point being is that it's all about how you respond, and that's what we're going to get into today. All right, now I'd like to welcome Melissa Matthews and Tia Over to the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. Melissa is the founder and president of the Matthews Group, and Tia is the vice president and chief strategy officer of the Matthews Group. And I gave them a full introduction, of course, earlier and told you about their company, but now I want to welcome them in. Welcome, Melissa and Tia. Thanks, Anthony. Thank you. Glad to be here. All right, so today I'm excited to have both of you on because we're going to talk a little bit about crisis communication for engineers, which is something that is very common because engineers work on a lot of large projects with lots of moving parts and lots of other people. And whenever you have that many variables involved, oftentimes there's going to be crises that come up. And so what I'd like to do to kind of kick things off a bit is just to talk a little bit about this in general. And maybe, Melissa, you can start off just talking a little bit about the importance of being able to hand this, handle crisis on projects in these types of situations? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, doing crisis communications is probably the last thing that most engineers think about when they think about their career path. But as you said, on large, complex problem projects, sometimes things go wrong, sometimes even things go right, and the media wants to hear from you. And you know, engineers as the subject matter experts are often, you know, seen by the media and seen by audiences who are reading news reports as being very credible and very objective in a way that sometimes decision makers and policymakers aren't. In Tia's career and in mine, we've worked for many years with engineers and we've seen them become really powerful spokespeople for their organizations, especially in times of crisis. And I think that that is something that many engineers forget or don't think about per se, because you get into engineering because you're good at engineering and you're good at technical design. You've taken a lot of courses on it and you get into your projects and you design them. But as you kind of move up the ranks and you take on more responsibilities in your projects, you might become a project manager. And if these projects are public projects or projects that might be in the media at all, for the reasons that Melissa just went over, you you really need to be prepared to be able to address that. So maybe you could give us some examples of crisis communications where the role of an engineer or a technical expert was critical in those situations, just to kind of give our listeners some ideas or some baselines. Absolutely. And, you know, we can start by going back about 15 years when Tia and I actually met. We were both working in the public affairs department at NASA. And at that time, the Space Shuttle Columbia tragically 
blew up on reentry and killed seven astronauts and we lost an orbiter and we spent you know the next two and a half years doing crisis communications as NASA prepared the space shuttle to go back to orbit and the investigation that followed and also in obviously the media reports that followed the actions and analysis of engineers were front and center and so we had to work with a lot of engineers at all different levels some of them who had never been in front of a reporter before and, and others who were more experienced having come from, say, astronaut backgrounds and that sort of thing, or senior leadership roles. And then more recently, an example that has really popped out to me as a good case study is this Florida International University bridge collapse. And immediately after the accident, we started to see headlines with information about a voicemail that the project engineer left or an email that he sent and some other communications and decisions that they had made. Almost any day you can open the paper or read it online, as we all do now, and find some examples, data breaches, and other things that are in the news on a very regular basis that involve engineers. Yeah, that's a great point there, Melissa, that you bring up in that this is, we're talking about, of course, crisis communications in terms of something happening on a project and you having to respond to it. But what you need to also think of as an engineer or a technical professional is as you're working on the project, your communication is all legal. It's all documented for the most part, I'm sure, through different channels, whether it's emails. And if something does go wrong on a project, part of the crisis communication is certainly going to be able to track down why decisions were made and what happened and how did ultimately you get to a failure, whatever the situation was. And so that's also something to think about in your day-to-day -day design work every day not just, oh, great, now I'm going to learn a little bit how to respond to a situation because you may, what you're actually having to respond to may have been created through what you did on that project. So just something to think about in terms of leading up to that. So just to get back to these couple of examples, so you were both working at NASA when the Challenger incident happened, is that correct? It was at Columbia, yes. Talk to us about what happens after that for you. In other words, you said before, now you have to have scientific experts, engineers that have to now talk to the media in this situation or possibly be interviewed. So was part of what you had to do was kind of help them and prep them for that? Yes, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we'd spend a lot of time before any media encounter going through the expected questions, kind of talking through answers. And it's actually a really therapeutic process a lot of times in those situations where folks are questioning themselves and decisions that they made. And we had to kind of work through that with them, but also just kind of thinking through how to answer a question because, you know, it's hard. And when you're kind of in the spotlight and everybody wants to be transparent, and that is such an important part of crisis communications is, you know, to be really honest and transparent and never to try to sort of cover up your story. As we all know, the cover up is worse than the crime. But as you're, even as you're trying to be transparent, you have to really think about how to answer things clearly and how to kind of give the proper context and also the right level of depth for the reporters that they're interested in for their story. You know, engineers can sometimes go quickly into the details uh, in a way that's not always effective with reporters. And we can talk about that a little bit more as well. And I'll just add to that too, Anthony, that, you know, as Melissa said, that the transparency point is so key. Telling your own bad news is fundamental in crisis communications. Otherwise, someone else is going to get there first and then you have lost credibility from the get-go. 
because you haven't been honest with the audience. But there's also a really important element there in the humanity of the way that you deliver that information. You know, engineers, because they are so technically apt and objective, at times there can be, I think it's subconscious, but a forgetfulness that these are potentially real lives that are either on the line or have been lost, or maybe it's that there have been major layoffs or other types of tragedies. And just to remember that there's a human element and to express it, that it's okay to express some regret or frustration or even sympathy with what's just happened. That's a great point, Tia. And, and these both of these examples, of course, that you just brought up did involve, of course, loss of life, which is tragic. And these are heavy situations, but at the end of the day, we need to get to the bottom of what's going on. And oftentimes, as you've mentioned here, it's going to come back to an engineer or one of the scientists or technical professionals that have to kind of speak up, which kind of brings me to the next question is, what responsibility does an engineer or these technical professionals working on the project have in responding to crisis on a project or at work? Well, I think that they have a responsibility to, like we said, transparency, the humanity of it, but really think about how the words matter that you use in those moments and prepare for that. For example, the word mishap, it might seem trite to a general audience, but when you're talking about life or death, that word could be very heavy and exact a lot of pain in a moment. So prepare for, as Melissa said, ahead of time, how your story is going to be conveyed to the audience that's receiving it. I think for engineers, the biggest thing is to put that data into context. You know, you need to take every opportunity you have to answer questions about the technical data or reports that you're given, but then make yourself available to provide the context. Reporters, they're going to have questions. And rather than just putting out a press release with some facts in it, or allowing an executive to go out and make a statement and then sort of hoping you can wait out the storm, make yourself available as the technical subject matter expert. I used to do analyst relations for Microsoft and we learned, and it was just the best practice all along was that if there was a technical issue with a product or a scrubbed launch, the first thing we would do would be to line up briefings with our IT analysts and with members of our marketing and engineering teams. Let us share the information, but then let them ask us every question that they possibly have. And we knew that that would behoove us because reporters would be calling those analysts for source quotes. We knew that they would be going and briefing their customers that come to them for buy-sell decisions and that it was in everyone's best interest that we make our engineers available to them. So just you know, the availability attitude, I guess, is what I would say is my advice there. If you're an engineer, be willing to take those calls and be willing to do those briefings. My next question, which you may have already given some answers to, but you may have some more. What are some of the common challenges that engineers or technical professionals might face when talking to the media and how can they maybe overcome them? And I know, T, you just kind of gave us, I think, one of them, which would be paying attention to the types of the language that you're using in terms of, is it relate to the audience? Is it too technical? Is it a term that people won't understand? I can see that being a challenge. Is there anything else that you want to bring up here? So one of the things that, as I mentioned a little bit, is engineers sometimes don't know how deep to go with the answer. And that's something that you can really work through in that prep session that we talked about in your preparation. But, you know, a good general rule of thumb is to kind of let the reporters dig. So I think people are roughly familiar with the inverted pyramid of journalism, where you sort of give the main idea first. 
and then you sort of back up and give those supporting details. And if you can kind of follow that, you kind of bottom line people first, which is not always the way that engineers work or think or present information, but give that bottom line information first and then let the reporter ask a follow-up and a follow-up and a follow-up. And they'll kind of guide you on how deep they want to go with the information. When you're dealing with reporters, reporters come from a variety of backgrounds. We have, you know, there are science reporters out there who have hard science degrees from really good schools. And there are other people who come at it from a journalism major or of a liberal arts background, but they do learn to be quick studies on information and they can process information quickly. And that's kind of what the, the superpower of a journalist is. Working with them and just letting them kind of guide you along that path of like how much of the analysis and the details they want to understand. One story that always comes to me in, in reference to that is we had a, an engineer at NASA who was sort of legendary. He'd come over with Werner von Braun and, and he, from Germany, and he was part of that kind of legendary group of engineers. And uh, we had an issue with the space shuttle where some orbital debris was going to come too close to comfort for the space station. So I went to him and I said, hey, the reporters would like to know, you know, how we're evaluating this and how we're feeling confident that the space station is not going to be impacted. And he started drawing this like really complicated formula on his whiteboard. And, and I said, oh, I can just tell them it, it's a complicated formula of dealing with orbital mechanics. And I knew that that would be enough for them. And he started kind of getting frustrated with me and saying, it's not a complex formula. And I'm like, no, it is. So it's the reporters, this is a complex formula. And he just was very insistent that it was not. You know, so it's those kinds of things where you have to kind of understand, like, what is it that they need? And again, let them kind of guide you. I can see that as being a bit of a challenge, too. And then that happens a lot in engineering, even not necessarily in crisis situations, but when you need to present a project or a proposal to someone who's just not a technical person, whether it's a client or whether it's a board that's going to potentially give you approval on a project, if you can't kind of distill down some of the ideas and methodologies to something that they can understand, or in that case, maybe the benefits that they might reap from a project or a prospective project, then it's difficult for you. So I could see some parallels between the two, which is good because it's just another thing to think about or another analogy that you can give maybe when working with these professionals. And when you say, Melissa, the inverted pyramid, giving the bottom line first, is that kind of like the bottom line would be the headline of the story kind of? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, the standard news lead is the who, what, when, where, why, and how. And you can kind of give those broad details first and then get into more of the details. Then you'll be more successful, I think, speaking with reporters. It seems like you gave us a lot of the big points there, but just in general, maybe or maybe in summary, when you talk about crisis communications, what would you say are some of the best practices for engineers that they can think about if they have to prepare for something or if they just want to be prepared for a situation? Yeah. So Anthony, I'll hop in on that one. I think my first piece of advice would be to build relationships with your communications folks in the good times. And by that, I mean, be prepared with those that you're going to be partnering with in those, God forbid, moments of crisis so that that trust and relationship is already there. And when you have to prepare talking points, one thing Melissa alluded to earlier, something we call RTQs, response to questions, where you basically write down all of the potentially gotcha, nasty questions you could be asked by a reporter and then write out your answers. 
but having that relationship between the engineering and PR communications, marketing, Marcom, whatever the division is within your organization, or if you partner with a, an external uh, PR agency, practice and, and be prepared ahead of time so that when those trying times come, that bond that you have cultivated um, and when it's under stress, it'll deliver for you. And really just see them as your partners. You know, we've been fortunate, Melissa and I have throughout our careers working with engineers to work with brilliant, talented engineers who by, by and large see us as their peers and partners and will be willing to um, not only do the prep work, but really allow us to coach them in those moments. And I think actually I know that investing ahead of time in those relationships is what has helped. Again, it gets back to the idea of being proactive and preparing when things are good and not waiting for the crisis or the problem or the big challenge or failure to happen. And I think that that's really something out of this episode that I really would like the listeners to take away is that Melissa and Tia have given us some great advice on how to deal with crises, how to communicate things you can do, very specific strategies you can take. But the one that I would urge again, going back to what Melissa said earlier is thinking about as you work on your projects, the file keeping, talking with your communications people, as Tia just mentioned, doing the things that you can do because it's just a matter of time. I don't want to sound negative, but when you work on engineering projects, I mean, something's going to happen on these projects. It probably would kind of be awkward, to be honest with you, if all your projects went very smooth and there wasn't any problems because that's not the kind of world we live in. I mean, things change on sites. There's unforeseen situations. And so you need to be prepared. So I would say when you're doing the design work, anticipate these things so you can make sure that you are prepared. And if you work on some of your communication skills and other things that we talk about often on the show, it's going to make the crisis communication a lot easier, probably never be easy, but a lot easier than it would be if you didn't do any of those things. So anything else you want to add as far as things that maybe our listeners can do to prepare in addition to that? Sure. And I was going to add to that, Anthony, that, you know, one of the things that makes engineers sometimes really valuable spokespeople is that they are seen as problem solvers. And I think that as engineers work through these problems and even in the, in the aftermath of a disaster, they can kind of get reporters on their side if you kind of lead them through that process and kind of give some transparency into that process. Because that's people want to be part of that. People want to be part of solving problems. The other thing I would add to what you said just now is as you're looking for professional development opportunities, consider taking media training. A lot of companies and organizations will offer it in either in-house working with your communications person or they'll bring in trainers and agencies to do that for you. So, you know, taking those opportunities and raising your hand when that opportunity comes is a terrific idea. And then you'll just feel better, as you said. You'll feel like you're prepared if that day comes that, you know, someone sticks you in front of a microphone or on the phone with a reporter. That's a great point. And again, another way to prepare and be proactive, which I'm a big proponent of, is always trying to be proactive as opposed to reactive. And media training, which I'd never heard of, quite honestly, or never thought of, ever recommend before, is excellent. Especially those of you that maybe work, I mean, everyone can prepare, no doubt about it. But those of you that work in the larger companies that we're going to work on these really big, very public-facing projects, I would imagine that this media training would be very valuable to you because, again, if you work on very high-profile projects, a time's going to come where you're going to have to talk to the media. And even it might not even be a crisis situation. It could be the launch of a project, the groundbreaking, where they're going to want a statement from you. And it's just getting more comfortable with speaking with the media is important. It's valuable. And I think we talk a lot in terms of professional development and growing within your firm. 
And I think if your peers and your supervisors see that you can handle media in that way and that you've been proactive about it, it's again, going to just reflect very well on you and ultimately your firm, which is only going to help you long-term in your professional development efforts. Melissa and Tia, maybe one of you could just tell us how we can find you, maybe your website and some of the things that that you do just so the listeners can connect if they'd like to learn more. Absolutely. Our website is Matthews, M-A-T-H-E-W-S, only one T, hyphen group.com. And we are also on LinkedIn and we would love to connect with folks and uh, feel free to reach out and ask us any questions that you may have. I really want to thank you both. I think this is information that's really, really valuable to our listeners. And it's one of those things that sometimes you don't think about until it happens. But the goal of having Tia and Melissa on the show with us today is to make you aware that these situations may arise, get you thinking about crisis communication before you get to the crisis, because that's only going to make it easier. And I just don't think enough engineers and technical professionals are thinking about this as they go through their projects. And unfortunately, we have incidences like they mentioned before, especially the one in Florida that we just had with the bridge that collapsed. And if you are on, unfortunately, the other side of that, there's some questions that you're going to have to answer. And it's not a good position to be in, but we're hoping that we can kind of help you deal with that in the best way possible. So Melissa and Tia, I want to thank you so much for spending some time with us here. I know you're very busy dealing with a lot of these situations, but I really appreciate the time. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you. We've enjoyed it. All right. So stick with me here. I'm going to come back in a minute and I'll wrap up the episode with our Take Action Today segment where I'm going to talk to you a little bit about an example from my own career having to deal with the media that I wasn't necessarily prepared for. So we'll be right back with that. Now it's time for our Take Action Today segment of the show. This is where we try to give you one action item that you can take away from the topic for the episode. And in this segment, I'm going to just give you a quick tip on something that happened to me in my career in terms of crisis situation or kind of a media request that we needed to respond to. And I think it'll be very helpful for you. But before I do that, I do want to take a moment to recognize our sponsor for this episode, PPI. Engineering career advancement starts with licensure. The best place to gather info on licensure and pick from multiple review options is ppi2pass.com. PPI has helped over 4 million engineers pass their licensure exam and become leaders in their fields. Best of all, they have new digital options for exam review that make preparing easier and more exam-like than ever. Visit ppi2pass.com to learn how you can start preparing for your exam right away and take one step closer to career advancement. That's PPI, the number two, pass.com. I also have a 20% off promo code available to listeners of this podcast. Use promo code TECH8 on PPI's website for an exclusive 20% discount. Again, that's the promo code T-E-C-C and the number eight, the engineering career coach and the number eight. All right, so we've talked a lot about crisis communication, when things go wrong, how you respond to them. And I had a situation where when I was working as the executive director for the New York State Society of Professional Engineers, we advocated heavily for PE licensure and against the unlawful practice of engineering. And in one instance in New York, there was an engineer who engaged, or actually he wasn't a licensed engineer, he engaged in engineering. 
He was signing plans, sealing plans, doing a lot of things that he wasn't supposed to be doing. It was a big story. The the DA's office indicted this guy and everybody was kind of up in arms about it. And I got a phone call from a news outlet, you know, looking for a statement. Us being the society against this, they wanted a statement from us. And this happened, everything happened very quickly. And so I got a phone call and I happened to answer the call. And it was a news outlet asking for our opinion on the matter. And I had to very quickly collect myself, kind of take a breath and just kind of say, listen, I understand the urgency of this issue and we want to respond to you ASAP. However, I have to talk to my board, talk with our attorney, and we will formulate a statement and we will release it. We're not ready to do that at this time. So please get back to me in a day or two. Thankfully, the reporter wasn't too pushy. She thanked me. We hung up. And I went on to go and collect that information. And we put together a formulated, well-thought statement. And the reason that I say this is because many times before this, I would have just talked on that phone call and I would have given thoughts and said words and said phrases and said statements that probably would have been rushed. And so I know it's a simple thing, but in these crisis situations, it doesn't usually bode well if you just respond off the cuff without thinking, without breathing, without taking some time. So when you get into a situation like this where you have a real problem on a project and the client calls you, if you can avoid it, I know it's important to be responsive, but tell your client, like, listen, I understand the gravity of the situation. Give me like just a few minutes here to get with my team, look through everything together, understand what happened, and then we can let update you and keep you up to date on the situation. Because everything that you say in these situations, you can't take back. And that's kind of the point that I want to leave you with today. I think it's, it's really, really important to stay calm in these situations and don't feel like you have to respond. And I hope that was helpful. And I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. I really enjoyed talking with Melissa and Tia, their experience shown through in the interview. And I'm certainly going to use some of these tactics moving forward. All right. So before we wrap up the episode, I just want to mention again, our engineering management accelerator online workshop. I've gotten many, many great reviews from engineers that have gone through the program. So rather than me telling you about the program, I thought what I'd do here before we end the episode is just read an email that I received from one of the participants that went through the program. And he said, when it comes to the courses and lectures you provided, I did find them very beneficial. I actually have some notes from your lectures in my daily to-do list, and I read them every day to help me perform better and to remind me of what we discussed in those sessions. I also have started making sure I build accountability with my team. I do delegate more and I do set expectations with my team. This has allowed me to build a more trusting relationship and not have to worry if the job is getting done and or micromanage. I've also started delegating more of the non-billable tasks and this has allowed me to assist more in other areas. Your lectures and course has helped me tremendously and I would recommend it to others. So again, you could check out the course at engineer2manager.com. That's engineer2manager.com. Our next session starts in September, and I hope that you'll consider joining us. All right, we'd love to hear your feedback, comments, and or questions on this episode. Go to engineeringmanagementinstitute.org forward slash crisis communication, all one word, all lowercase. There you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources mentioned during the episode. 
And don't forget to check out our upcoming live webinar for this month at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org, which will be focused on how to write effective business emails. We have a CNBC contributor, Danny Rubin, giving that session. Again, that's at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. And until next time, please continue to engineer your own success. The strategies that you heard in this episode will be of no use to you unless you take action and start to implement them in your career immediately. To help you do that, we have designed a system that you can use at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. It combines live monthly webinars with PDHs, plus a private forum giving you access to coaches and premium content focused on helping you build your management and leadership skills. Join us for our next live webinar at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org and we'll help you engineer your own success.